Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Church, we are planning a trip to the land of Israel probably next February or March. And we hope that you can make it with us, I understand. And the reason I tell you this is that so you can save your nickels, okay, pennies, okay, you're going to need to save your dollars. It's pretty expensive to go, but if you go with us to Israel, it is a trip of the lifetime. But let me share something with you. When you go to Israel, the one thing you find there is so amazing. When you get there in Israel, you'll find two beautiful, beautiful major bodies of water. Too beautiful. I mean, this is, this is encompasses the land of, of Israel. And one of them is Nathalie's favorite place in the entire world. It's the Sea of Galilee. It's the Sea of Galilee. And think about this, guys. This beautiful of seas where Jesus walked, where he calmed the storm. I mean, all of this happened in the Sea of Galilee. Now, this lake, I mean, we call it a sea, but it really is a freshwater lake. Think about this. You get there, and it's 13 miles long and 7 miles wide. It's a beautiful place, guys. And it's surrounded, if you look at it, it's surrounded. There's green, lush foliage everywhere around the Sea of Galilee, right? And, and basically, there's the waves, and it's just, it's the most amazing thing. And there's fish, and there's life. And I had a hard time dragging Nathalie away from there. Okay. On the first occasion we got there, guys, we got to walk up to the sea. The waves were crashing on the rocks. You open your Bible study. We had a great time in Bible study. It was so refreshing. And I couldn't get Nathalie to leave. I'm like, come on, Nathalie, let's go. And she's like, no, let me stay. Anyway, so I left. No, I didn't leave her there. I said, get in the bus. And so we got on the bus and, and, and a few days later, they took us down to another beautiful body of water. We're thinking it's going to be the same, right? It's beautiful, but it's not. It's the sea of, it's the Dead Sea. It's the Dead Sea down south, and this is in the same beautiful land of Israel, but you can tell when it's changed. You can tell all of a sudden in, in, in the Sea of Galilee, there's green, and there's lush, and there's life, and, and everything is just, I mean, it's just, wow, it's peaceful and comforting. And then you drive, and all of a sudden, the land starts to get barren, and it starts to get brown. And then you see these white shorelines, and then you see this giant body of water known as the Dead Sea. And the Dead Sea is just a little bit different, guys. It's 50 miles long with 11 miles wide. And its shoreline is actually 1,300 feet below sea level. And I read that 7 million tons of water evaporate, guys, right, from the Dead Sea every day because of its salt content. The salt salt content alone, guys, of the Dead Sea ranges from 26 to 35% more than any other sea around the world. You go, what does that mean? It makes it 10 times more saltier than any ocean in the sea. And I'll never forget the first time I ran into the Pacific Ocean. We had, we had went out to, uh, we had went out to, uh, California and I remember never seen the sea before. I remember running and I was so happy and a bunch of water came in my mouth and I was like, oh, that's salty, gross. In Israel, it's even worse. The Dead Sea is so bad. Now there's so much salt content, guys, that you can actually float on the Dead Sea. You can float. And people freak out because their brain says, you can't float in water. But if you just lay back and you'll just float. Now, you can only stay in there for 10 minutes because it'll dehydrate you so fast that you have to get out and you have to drink water. That's how bad it is. I mean, it is really, really, really salty. 
Well, Ben, is there any fish? There's no dead fish in the Dead Sea. There's no life. Because of the salt content, there's nothing in there. There's no living water. There's nothing in there. And as a matter of fact, what you'll see on the shores of the sea, basically it's white crystals of salt covering everything. Sometimes a fish will accidentally swim from the Sea of Galilee down to the Dead Sea and they're killed instantly. Their bodies quickly coated with preserving layer of salt crystals then tossed to shore by the winds and the rave. I, can you imagine? Can you imagine? Hey, hey, let's go for a swim. Let's go up here. You know, it's like, no, don't go there, right? And fish are supposed to be in school, right? There's schools of fish. But anyway, they're not that smart if they, they're dead. Anyway, they're dead. But you go, well, pastor, what's the point? Here it is. Listen, both major bodies of water in the land of Israel, both the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea, listen, they're fed by the Jordan River. The Jordan River comes off the beautiful mountains up in Gilead, off, off all the way through in, in Tel Dan, and it's so gorgeous. And it comes in, right? And it's fed by the Jordan River. You go, well, Ben, what's the difference? Why is the Sea of Galilee full of life and lush and, and all this stuff? And why is the Dead Sea over here dead and everything in it is dead? Here's why. Listen, listen, and I want you to catch this, okay? Because, again, here's the only difference. The Sea of Galilee, as it comes through, has, has an outlet where the Dead Sea has no outlet. Water flows through the sea and out, but it flows into the Dead Sea, and in the Dead Sea, there's no outlet. Still in the beautiful land of Israel, Two different types of bodies. You go, Ben, why would you share that story with us? Well, here it is. Listen, I think it's the very same thing with the spiritual gifts. You go, Pastor, what do you mean? Well, if you and I have spiritual input, okay, we're getting fed by God's spirit and we're getting fed by his word, right? But we have no output, then we become much like the Dead Sea. But if we are a church who believes in the gifts, we believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, we earnestly desire them to get our lives look a little bit different. Our lives become much more like the Sea of Galilee, right? And that's what Paul wants us to learn as we go through our lesson. Guys, if we have input, then we need output. We need to share so we can continue to grow. Now, if you recall, we started talking about spiritual gifts a couple of weeks ago. And Paul reminds us, he goes, now listen, you may not know everything. I know that you in Corinth, they're knowledgeable, but you might not know everything. And so he writes to us, and I love Paul's heart. Why? Because he says, now concerning spiritual gifts. Now I want to show you something real quick. We talked about it, but gifts is in italics, which means it wasn't in the original language. It means the writers put it in. So he's saying, now concerning spiritual, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant. Now, in our language, we have the term ignorant, and we think of that as being negative. We go, oh, neg-. it doesn't mean obtuse, and it doesn't mean dumb. Paul says, I just don't, I, I want you to be aware. I want you to be aware of what's going on. When it comes to spiritual, you guys can circle that word, because the Greek is in the plural, and it's actually pneumatica, pneumatica. And what it means is, it means things pertaining to the Holy Spirit. So Paul comes to us very early and it says, Now, concerning things of the Holy Spirit, I want you to be aware. I want you to be aware. Now, why would Paul write that to us? Because remember, the church at Corinth was very, very carnal, very fleshly, 
okay? But they had a zeal for the Holy Spirit. They wanted all that God had for them. They wanted the gifts, but they were still, again, so Paul writes to them. Their problem was, listen to me, their problem was is that they were abusing, misusing the gifts of God. In other words, their, their worship service, hey, we're going to have church, we're going to have church, and they all centered around more of the gifts. Let's make sure we have the gifts. And, 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 and basically, in every church service, the goal, the goal was the gifts. It wasn't, okay, we're going to pray for each other. We're going to love on each other. Hey, we're going to study God's word so we get a good foundation. Their goal was, hey, we want all that God has for us. We want the gifts. And so they were, well, they had an overemphasis of the gifts in their weekly worship meetings. Now, last week, Paul says, okay, so let's talk about gifts. Let's talk one by one. Let's talk about them. And we looked at nine last week. Now, remember, according to Romans and and, and Ephesians, we see that there's over 20 gifts. There's all kinds of gifts God gives us. And if you're a believer here today, God's given you a gift. He's given you a gift, and he manifests other gifts in us, and that's what he's saying. But the key to chapter 12, if you're taking note, is he wants to remind us that there's one spirit and one God. We all have gifts. We're all different. There's diversities. There's, There's all these things, but it's... One spirit, one God. We go, okay. And then he says, but, but let me remind you what the purpose of the gifts are. Because if we were the Corinthian church, we were going, man, I want all the gifts. God goes, let me give you the purpose. The purpose of the gifts is found in verse 7, where it says, but the manifestation of the spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. So he says, I've given you gifts to build up the body of Christ. I've given you gifts to build up. The purpose of the gifts are to build each other up. That's the purpose. Oh, we need to desire the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We want to walk in that. We want to live victoriously, but the purpose is so that I can lift up my brothers and sisters. And he goes, okay, that's what it is. Now, in verse 11, we come and he says, well, pastor, there's some gifts that I've wanted. Now, here's the thing, right? We were told early on, some of us were told that the evidence of being baptized in the Holy Spirit was speaking in tongues, and some people go, man, I don't have that gift. I've never spoken in tongues. I don't know what to do. I don't, oh, am, I, am I not baptized? Do I not have the Holy Spirit? And it would scare some people. But the bottom line is, is that we know that the evidence of being baptized in the Holy Spirit is love. But in verse 11, he says this. He says, the gifts are given to, by God to whom he wills for his purpose. Oh, what, that's so freeing. Why? Because if you've never spoken tongues or you've never had interpretation of tongues, that's okay because it's God who gives you those gifts when he wills and how he chooses. You go, oh. Now, there are some gifts that he'll use, like the gifts of helps or the gifts of administration. Those are in you. Those are just your gifts, gifts of encouragement, all of that stuff. But then there are other manifestations of the gifts at certain times when you're praying for somebody, when you're, when you're, um, you know, God will give you, and, and we'll go through them real quick, but that'll, he'll manifest that as he wills for a specific time. Oh, well, like what? Well, remember we talked about the gift of wisdom, the gift of wisdom. We know that wisdom is knowledge applied, but the gift is a supernatural gift, and God gives you wisdom for a super, for just a, 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 situation that you need. You've been praying. God gives you wisdom. And we saw that. We saw that in the book of Acts last week and, and even in Solomon. Do you remember when Solomon, they came to him and said, you know what? They were fighting over the baby. And what is Solomon? His wisdom was what? 
well, let's cut the baby in half. And the real mom goes, no, 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 no. And, and that wisdom portrayed who the real mom was. No, don't cut the baby. You let her keep it. And we saw that was supernatural as God moved in Solomon's life. And then we saw the gift of knowledge. The gift of knowledge is a supernatural gift that, that, you, that God gives you that no one else could know. In other words, say, say a brother or sister comes and says, let's pray, pray with me. And on your, as you're praying, God just impresses upon you a certain word of knowledge. It's something that, that you know and you're just like, Lord, I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to, Lord, no, this, this still, gonna, these people, I'm praying for them, Lord, this is serious. What are they going to think? And, and then you say the word, and they're like, oh, that just spoke. And God goes, ah, ah, I use that. It's, it's, how would you know this? How would you know this? I'll tell you, uh, let, me, let me tell you how it works here. Sometimes the pastor will be preaching, and he'll say something after, I mean, just, and he'll say, for example, for example, when Nathalie and I were real young, we, we were wanting to move out of our house. We had a mobile home and we wanted a house and we found this amazing house up, up, up in Albuquerque. And we, and it was, and I remember saying, and it had a circular driveway and it just had great. And I remember, oh, I remember saying, oh, Lord, if only we had this house, then everything would be great. Lord, could we just have this house? I remember saying that specifically. Went to church the next morning, and the pastor was from the pulpit. He goes, maybe some of you here are just going, oh, man, if I only had that house that you... I was like, how could he know? How could he know? It was, a, it was a supernatural word of wisdom that was like, okay. Because the content of the teaching was we have to be content in Christ, not in houses and so forth. I was like, oh. And then we have the gift of faith. The gift of faith. Now, that's not, that's different from just faith, guys. It's the gift supernaturally that goes, I can do this. I can do this. Now, let me explain this, okay? Because sometimes we have faith. We have faith that a certain situation is going to work out. We have faith. And I was talking to a lady yesterday, and she had so much faith that a certain situation that she had prayed for was going to work out, and it didn't work out how she thought, and she was angry at God. But she's come to realize that it's God's will. There, there's some faith where you go, God, it's going to work. I know it. Amen. And Jesus, it's going to work. Amen. And then there's times when we have a gift where you go, I know it's going to work out. And you just know. And God has given you that gift to step out in faith. It's going to work. It's going to work. That's the gift of faith. Then we talked about, guys, remember the gift of healings. It's plural. So it's not only physical healings, it's spiritual healings as well. And then we talked about the working of miracles. Now, remember, miracles was like, I mean, think about it. Wouldn't we love to see, this is, the implication is that raising people from the dead, seeing limbs grow. I mean, just incredible miracles as the disciples would, would go out and minister. And I thought, wow, I think, how, how would you feel if you saw somebody raised from the dead? You know, I mean, there you go. Yeah, the guy's been dead four days. We're going to pray. And God did something. And you read, that's, you might have that gift. I mean, there's gift of miracles. God still operates that today. We don't see a whole lot of it. But that's he's saying. He's saying some of you have that gift to work that miracle. He says, now you also have to, there's a gift of prophecy. Prophecy. Now, here's what you need to write down. It's the telling forth of God's word. It's the telling forth. And sometimes in conjunction with wisdom and knowledge. Sometimes with wisdom and knowledge. And the person behind the pulpit will often exercise the gift of prophecy in the teaching of the word of God where people go, how could he know that? 
He pastor was talking right at me, blah, 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 blah. And so again, it's the gift of prophecy telling forth God's word. Now, that doesn't just mean you, you, you're a pastor. You guys tell forth God's word all the time. And that he might be using that gift supernaturally. How many times have, we, have you told me, pastor, you won't believe. I was just quoting scripture. And, and I mean, I didn't even know I knew the scripture. And, and I was telling people, and man, I could see him. And tears were I mean, and you're winning the person to Jesus. And he's using you even in a prophetic way. And then he says, then you have the gift of discernment. That's the spiritual discernment where you, you just kind of have that gift. And we talked about that last week. And we talked about the gift of tongues, languages, different languages. But Paul's going to go way deeper into that in 14. So we, we just kind of touched on it. And then the interpretation of that tongue. So those were the nine gifts. Paul says, man, listen, this, these are gifts that we should be exercising. And God's going to give them to us. And, and, and we don't have to worry about it. I don't know what gift I have. I don't know what I should do. Because he gives us more gifts. But he says, okay, okay, so this is what we need to do. So then we come to our text for today, and what Paul's going to do, guys, to us, he says, okay, so I've I've taught on the gifts. I don't want you to be ignorant, but now I want to explain it. And if you've ever studied Paul's heart, you can see how he goes, okay, here's the problem. Here's what I want to talk about, and then I'm going to illustrate it so you guys get it. Well, he's going to do that, and he's going to describe the relationship between gifted believers to each other using the analogy of a human body. That's what he's going to do. He says, the spirit has formed a spiritual body made up of many members called the body of Christ. Now, here's what you got to pay attention to, okay? He says, the constitutions between the human body and the spiritual body both demand that all the members, even those who seem unimportant, function in harmony with a mutual dependence, respect, and care for each other. In other words, when you look at your body, okay, from your toes to the top of your head, everything works what? How? It works in harmony. It works in harmony and a mutual dependence. Your arms are dependent on your back. Your back is, all of it is that, but it also has respect and care for each other. He says that's how the same way the body of Christ works right here. And I'm going to show you that, and I want to illustrate that. That's what Paul says. So that's where we pick up our study today. If you're taking note, we'll see unity in diversity. That's what he's going to say. We're going to be unified, but everybody's different in diversity. Look at verse 12 with me. He says, for as the body has, uh, for as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that body being many, Our one body, so also is Christ. Don't you just love Paul? He says, guys, listen, we're one body, and we're all different. And I'm so glad God created us, all of us, different. He says, but we're still one body. We're still one body. He says, for by one one spirit, there it is, one God, one spirit, we're all baptized into his body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, we've all been made to drink of the same spirit. Spirit. Here's what Paul's saying. He says, you can easily see, you can easily enough see how this kind of thing works by looking no further into our own body. How so? Your body has many parts, right? It has limbs, it has organs, it has cells, but no matter how many parts you can name, you're still one body. This is your body. You have toes, you have toenails. 
You have ankles, you have internal organs, but you're all still one body. Now listen, Paul says, that's exactly what it is like with the body of Christ. Okay, let me use the analogy of the human body to show us what unity in diversity looks like. But first, how did we get there? He says, when you first got saved, you were baptized into, what does he say? You were baptized into one body. And what does he mean? Well, the Spirit joins all believers into the body of Christ. See, the verb tense here indicates that it's a past action, and it's something that all believers experience. You go, what happens? Something happened when you got born again. Something happened where you no longer live for ourselves, but you became part of a greater family. And it, he goes, it doesn't matter who you were, Jew or Greek, if you were a slave. He says, once you got baptized, you were baptized into the body of Christ. You were baptized. That's where you were. Huh. Okay. So if you were born again, you're part of the body. And then Paul says, now, let me just reiterate this in verse 14. He says, for in fact, the body is not one member, but many but many. And that's what he really wants to get. He's going, listen, I want to show you unity in diversity. Unity in diversity. And I thought, okay, what's the best way that I could explain this, that, 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 that we could understand this? Okay? So here's the one thing you need to know. Every Monday, I get to pick up my granddaughter, Cordelia, and our job is to go find a toy. Okay? Now, here's the thing. I've been scolded by my wife. I've been scolded by my daughter. But it's not about the toy because she has more toys than she could say grace over. But it's about the experience of buying a toy. Now, I mean, I could have probably paid off our house over with all the toys that we bought. But nonetheless, I mean, that's what we do. So one day we went out to get a toy. And, and one of the toys that Cordelia picked, which I thought was a great illustration, is a Mrs. Potato Head. Mrs. Potato Head, she loved that. We took it home. We pulled off the lips, made her look funny, all of that stuff. But you know what? I was thinking about this in the illustration. Why? Because this is what Paul says. Paul says, listen, this is, in fact, one body, but it has many members. Okay? Part of her hair is a member. Okay? Her ears. I think it's so cool. Right? Her ears. Her, her lips, her nose, her eyes, her arms. This is one body. Everybody see that? Now you go, Ben, that's a corny illustration. Yeah, but if you ever see Mrs. Potato Head, you're going to remember 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I guarantee you. It's going to come back to you going, yeah, I remember that teaching. Okay, so I thought I'd use that. Why? Because Paul comes and he says this. If the foot should say, I'm not a hand, I'm not part of the body. He says, it is therefore not of the body. And if the ear... Okay, here's Mrs. Potato Head's ear. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm, I'm not of the body. He said, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole eye, if the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? See, and I could take these off. So what Paul says is this. Look, look, when it comes to the illustration, Paul says, now listen, listen, here's the thing. If, if, this was the whole body of Christ, where would the hearing be? You go, oh, okay. And if the whole body were an ear, then Mrs. Potato Head couldn't smell. And you go, oh, 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 I, I see. Okay, so, so we're all many members, but 
we're not all eyes. We're not all eyes. We're not all hairs. We're not all, oh, there goes her ear. We're not all ears. And here's the thing, guys. Cordy reminded me, the tongue is back here. We're not all tongues. So we all have a different body. We all have a different function. Well, well Ben, where do I fit? And then Paul tells you, look at verse 18. It's, this is key to the text. He says, but now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body as he pleased. You go, whoa. So here, here's what we're doing. Okay, listen. When you were born again, Here's what God did. The Spirit placed you in the body where he saw fit. Each part of the body has an important ministry to perform. Every one of us. When you got saved, God goes, okay, I might make you a mouthpiece. Okay, I might might make you an ear. Okay, I might make you eyes. Uh, No, you're going to be a foot. You're going to be a hand. You're going to be an arm. Okay, so God looked at your life. Now, think about the Apostle Paul for just a moment. The Apostle Paul was so zealous before he got saved, was he not? He was persecuting the Christians, and when he got saved, God took that same personality and used it for his glory. So he, he, he took Paul and said, no, 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 I know exactly where to put you into the body of Christ. And that's what he does with the rest of us. He does that. Now, here's what you need to see. Here's what, if you get nothing else out of this message, get this. You are an important part of the body of Christ. You are an important part of the body of Christ. That's why coming to church is not enough. Because God created you to be the church. It's, it's not enough. Uh, you know, listen, we're glad you're here. Come. But listen, God, use, he wants to use your gifts, your talents. He wants to use the body of Christ. That's what he's saying. He says, you're important. You're important. God the Father, think about his wisdom. God the Father and all his wisdom put you right where he wants you for what? To build up the body of Christ. To build up the body of Christ. You're important. There's so many people who think, well, I'm not important in the body. I'm not a pastor. I'm not a teacher. I'm not a da 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 da. I'm not a worship leader. I'm not a. You're important. You're important. In the body. You understand that just by looking at your own body. You're important. And oftentimes we, we sort of um, envy other people who have a platform. Ah, oh, I wish I was. But God says, no, no, no. Listen, right what you are, you're very, very important. You understand our church functions because you're important in the body. You are. Now, on the same token, Paul says, okay, now, I'm, I'm going to make this clear. You understand, the bo- you understand the body works, right? You look at your body, you go, okay, I've got head, shoulders, knees, toes. I mean, I've got all of this stuff, okay? I'm in the body. But he says, but I want to also illustrate this to the Ephesian church, but I want to use the building. I want to use the building. Now, you can just make note there and turn there, because I want to just show you that, that Paul is using the same concept, but he's going to use the building. In Ephesians chapter 2, 19 to 21, Paul writes, now, therefore... You are no longer strangers and foreigners. Once you're born again, you're part of, the, part of the family. He says, you're fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. So, first and foremost, when you get saved, you're family. You're family, okay? Bottom line. And nobody gets to judge if you're family or not. Once you're born again, you're family. 
having built on the foundation, notice that, of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ, right, being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fit together grows into the holy temple in the Lord. So Paul says, listen, not only are you a body, but you're a building. And the foundation of the building is the apostles and the prophets. Those are the teachings. Jesus being the chief cornerstone. Guys, listen, what are you in the building? Are you a wall? Are you a window? Are you a roof? Whatever it might be, you make up the building. Okay? Now, I guarantee you, if you came into this building and we had temporary walls that swayed like this, you wouldn't be in here. You'd be like, mm-mm. Those things are going to fall. He has no, you might have a foundation, but I don't, everybody has a, an important part so that the building structure stays solid. Solid. And so he says, we're a body. We're a building. But then Paul asks a rhetorical question. Look at verse 19. He says, and if we were all one member, where would the body be? Where would the body be? In other words, let me, let me go back to my little Mrs. Potato Head, okay? In other words, if all were an eye, guys, if, if all of us were eyes, he says, where would the body be? We, we're, we're not made up of a body. He says, now, now listen, if, if all of us were mouths, where would the body be? Okay? He says, the body is made up of everyone, everyone. The body is made up of many members, and not all of us are mouths, not all of us are ears, not all of us are feet, not all of us are toes. You guys understand that, right? You understand that. Now, check it out. Notice what he says. He says, but now, verse 20, indeed, there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor the head to the feet, I have no need of you. That's not how your body works. Your body doesn't work like that. It doesn't work where your toes get up and go, you know what, I'm tired of being a toe. I'm in this shoe. It's stinky. I don't want to be in this. I want to be a hand. Your toes do exactly what God created your toes to do. And it's not less important, is it? Now, I know what people think. I really do, guys. People think, well, listen, I'm not a mouthpiece. I'm not a musician. I'm not a worship leader. I'm not an evangelist. I'm not a teacher. And here's what you think. I'm not that important in the body of Christ. As a matter of fact, I feel like I'm a pinky toe. A pinky toe has no importance. Or you know what I am? I'm an eyebrow. You ever wonder what eyebrows are for? You know, I mean, I was thinking about different functions in the body. Like, we all have different functions, right? <laughs> right? Like, okay, this is going to sound weird, but your nose hair has a specific function. It does. And, but the, eye, the eyebrows, I mean, I was like, what? What's that for? Well, hopefully so we don't look all weird on our face, right? Because if you shave off your eyebrows, that looks kind of weird. <laughs> okay? So, so you have eyebrows. But, but people in the body of Christ feel like an eyebrow. I don't, I don't matter. I, I, I just feel... I, Here's the thing. A lot of people feel like a pinky toe until you stub that pinky toe. You ever stub your pinky toe in the middle of the night? Oh, my goodness. Ow! Ah! Ah! And then you're limping the next day. You're like, what happened? Man, I stubbed my toe. And I mean, it's, it, it functions. You need your toes. Every one of them. 
And Paul says, listen to me. He says, no, 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 no. Every part of the body is important. Look at verse 22. He says, no, guys, listen. Much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need. But God has composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. Here's what he's saying. Every part of the body isn't, is, is very important. Every part. And even when you think the less desirable parts, you go, ah, because here's what we do. We care about our hair, right? You'll, you'll, put on, you'll put on social media, I had a bad hair day. You'll care about your face. Hopefully, you'll wash it and clean it up. But nobody ever gives real recognition to, like, your liver. You know what I mean? Nobody ever goes, how's your liver today? But it would be far better to make sure your liver is functioning rather than having a good hair day. And that's the whole point. See, he's saying, listen, listen, the, the weaker parts, the parts nobody even cares about, the parts that nobody ever sees, I give greater importance to that. As a matter of fact, your heart, nobody sees. But I need to cover it with ribs because it's very, very fragile. And if you were to fall down, I want to make sure that it's, it's covered. And your digestive system, man, who doesn't need a good digestive system? No, I don't worry about my digest. I just want to make sure my eyebrows are just right, and I want to make sure my ear. You, you see the point he's trying to make? He's trying to make, he says, listen, don't ever put yourself down. Everybody is so important in the body of Christ. I don't know what to do. Listen, you might be here, and you might be just the most godly prayer warrior there is, and nobody sees you. Nobody sees you pray but that is one of the most important jobs. That is like a functioning gallbladder, liver, whatever you might. I mean, something we, I mean, that's, that's what it is, guys, and that's what he's saying. Now, let me say this to you. Listen, every part of the body is important. Understand that? You're important. But listen, if you're not doing what God has called you to do, guess what you're doing? You're crippling the rest of the body. You go, what? What happens is that this, if you're not doing what God has called you, that you're, you're crippling the rest of the body and another area has to compensate for that. You go, what do you mean? Okay, let me explain it like this. It was a while back. I haven't played since, but we were playing basketball. I was on a men's city league, and I remember driving to the gym one night, and I always used to pray, God, please don't let me get hurt. I need to take care of Nathalie. Please don't let me get hurt. And so I would try to be real careful, you know. But one day, one, one time during the game, I remember playing, and somehow I got on a defensive stance, and my arm got caught between a guy like this and somebody behind it. I don't know how it happened, but it was just, next thing you know, I had this excruciating pain down my arm. Well, what had happened, guys, is that the bicep muscle detached from the bone and came up here. I didn't know this. I just go, oh, oh, and I was like trying to shake it off. I'm like, okay, you're fine. And I could feel tingling, and I knew, I knew it wasn't like, ugh. And I, was, I looked at it, and it looked weird, and it was, just, it was just, you know what I'm saying? 
And, and so what happened is it detached. And so I go to the doctor and I'm like, look, I, I, can't, I can't turn a screwdriver. I can't open a can opener. It hurts so bad. Cordelia would run and I remember picking her up and I'd be like, oh, it hurts so bad, okay? And so he said, well, here's what we can do. Yes, it's definitely, it definitely detached. It's up here now. It's hanging out up here. He said, but what we can do is we can put a cadaver's muscle and tie it back to this bone here. You know, six weeks rehab and all that good stuff. But the thing that he told me goes, but that's not guaranteed that it'll stay. I said, you want me to spend 10 grand, but it's not guaranteed. He goes, well, at your age, you might want to just live with it. I don't know if he was calling me old or what, but he said, at your age, you want to live with it, right? But here's what I'm, here's the point. Throughout the years of having your bicep up here, my shoulder had to compensate for not having muscle down here. And so everything you could see me, I would, oh, wow, I'm getting, my shoulder's pretty, pretty tight because I had to use my shoulder to turn. And I realized, guys, think about it. This is not doing its job. And so another part of the body has to compensate for it. If your back gets hurt, you guys know what I'm talking about when you hurt your back? My daughter and my wife knows exactly when my back is hurt because I walk crooked. I mean, I look crooked automatically. Because what are we doing, guys? We're trying to compensate with somewhere else. You're like, oh, what's wrong? Oh, my back hurts a little bit. And here's what Paul's trying to say, guys. Here's what Paul's trying to say. Paul's saying, listen, when you don't do what you're called to do, guys, you're, you're making another area of the body compensate. You go, Pastor, what should I do? Guys, here's the thing. You're important. You're important. And if, if nothing else, listen to me, you're probably more important, if you will, than some of the outer stuff. You understand when I get to heaven, my reward, I mean, is going to be a lot less than yours. I've been the mouthpiece. I get to heaven, God's like, okay, but, the, but, but, but you guys who are the, who are the, the, the you can't, the, the people who clean the church, the people who take care of, of, of children's ministry, do security, all of these stuff, when you do these things, guys, God's like, wow, you've been faithful. You didn't get the pat on the backs. You didn't get the amens. You didn't get the invites to other churches. That's what you do. Think about this. We never compliment someone on their liver or colon, do we? Hey, you have a really nice colon there. How's it going? We, that would be weird. But we do compliment them on their hair or their muscles, all of that stuff. But see, the point is, is that here's what he's saying. He's saying, now, You are so important, and the reason you're important, and I want you to learn this lesson, is so that you can have care for one another. So that you can care for each other. It's almost like Paul's mindset goes back to chapter 11, where he's talking about the, remember the wealthier were coming in, and they were putting down the poor, they were having having the Lord's Supper first. He says, no guys, listen, they may be poor, but they're just as important. Now you may not see it, but I'm telling you, they're all part of the body. And I says, and the reason you need to care, he says, now listen, is because there should be no, no division in the body. There should be no schism. There should be no schism. We're all part of the body. We're all one. 
And you go, well, pastor, how should we behave? Well, he tells us in verse 26. He says, and if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. Now that's how we should behave. We should behave as that when somebody in the body of Christ is suffering, we should suffer with them. We should walk with them through that. We don't always do a good job. I know I don't. But we, we, need, to, we need to suffer with them. We need to be in prayer. We need to walk there. Are you okay? Let me walk through this. And here's the thing, guys. It says, and when one member is honored, we should rejoice in that. Oh, if we could learn the lesson. Because a lot of times we're selfish, and when one of the members in the body of Christ gets promoted at work or gets a new house or gets a new car, oh, yeah, good for you. How come I don't have a new car? We start looking inwardly instead of going, yeah, praise God, that's awesome. I'm happy for you. I'm happy for you. Yes. And we should rejoice in that. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying, listen, because we're all part of the body. We're almost afraid. We're almost afraid at times to be honored because we're afraid what, what the Christian body will think. Oh, new car, huh? Oh, and it's just like, praise God. Praise, praise, man, you got, you know, oh, you own a business? Amen. That's awesome. Praise the Lord. All of that stuff, Paul says. I, I, listen, listen. Listen to what one commentator said concerning this verse. He goes, think about this. He says, when a thorn enters the heel, the whole body feels it and is concerned. How so? He says, the back bends, the belly and thighs contract themselves, the hands come forward and draw out the thorn, the head stoops, and the eyes regard the affected member with intense gaze. That's what happens, right? You get a thorn, you're like, every part of you knows you've got a thorn in your, oh, ow, Oh, oh, okay. So everybody goes into what? Into working mode to relieve that pain. Everybody knows. Could you imagine if your, your eyes are like, yeah, I know there's a thorn in there. I don't care. That's not how we act, is it? If you, if you were to what? If you were to, have you ever done that? Ever put a hammer and hit your thumb? <gasps> your whole body's like, oh, 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 oh. Could you imagine if this hand's like, well, that's already on you, you know? But it was your fault. I mean, you know, you get, anyway. But, but here's the point. He also goes on, he says, when the head is crowned, the whole man feels honored. The mouth expresses and the eyes look with gladness. Oh, if we can be that in the body of Christ. When, when a brother or sister is suffering, we, we walk with them. And when, they're in, when they rejoice, we rejoice with them. Sincerely. Now, Let's close our Bible study with the gifts. He's going he's gonna to use some more gifts, and, and we'll go through them pretty quick. But look at verse 28. He says, and God has appointed these in the church. What are they, Paul? Some first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. After that, miracles, gifts of healing, helps, administration, variety of tongues. And then he gives, asks a question. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? but earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I will show you a more excellent way. Okay, let's break. Let's get these down real quick, okay? He says, are all apostles. Now, again, 
he's directing this to really the office of the apostle. But we can take the root word out, which means missionary. So he said, he said, listen, here's the thing. Has God appointed these? He said, some of them first apostles. Or he says, God has called some of us to be missionaries, to go out, to tell others. Now, sometimes we think being a missionary is to fly across a big body of water. But sometimes it's walking across the street to our neighbors. He says, he says, now, God has appointed some to be, to be prophets. Guys, you all are, I mean, think about this. You're going to speak forth on God's behalf. The word of God. Can I just say this? You don't want my opinion. You want the word of God. Somebody comes to you, man, you, you're quick to go, ah, here's what God's word says. And you speak forth. Let, let that gift of prophecy, don't let it scare you. Oh, I promise. Just speak forth God's word. He says, now, some some miracles, some miracles, some healings, both physical. I mean, God sometimes will use you to, to bring healing, and sometimes he won't. He says, now, there's the gift of helps. Do you know what that is? That is when you walk into a church and you go, oh, I'll just help. I've got that gift. I'll just, what do you need? I can do that. I can do that. It's a gift that you have. You're just, it's just a gift of helps. What a great gift. It's the gift, guys, of administrations. You guys know that, right? Some of you have that gift. Some of you have that gift. I don't have that gift of administration. I wish I did. I don't have that gift. If you go in my office, my, my desk is full of papers. Things, oh, I got to get to that. <laughs> but there's a gift of administrations where you see a, a pile of paper on the desk and you're like, yeah, I get to work on this today. And it's, it's just, you're just a gifted administrator. He says, and, and guys, we should desire tongues. Now, we're going, to dis- we're going to dive into that more when? In chapter 14. But think about this. Think about this. When it comes to tongues, what does the Bible say? It edifies us. And when I'm edified, guess what happens? I'm like the Sea, I'm like the sea of Galilee. Input, output. So I-, I want tongues. God, please, let me have this heavenly language that we can talk. It's so cool. Because then when I'm spiritually edified, then I can give. I can give. Paul asked, hey, hey, listen, are all apostles, teachers, miracles, healers, tongues? And the obvious answer is no, Paul. No, Paul. God will give you what you need. And then he says, and here's what we should do. You ready? Verse 31. Here's what we should do. But earnestly desire the best gifts. What is Paul telling us? Guys, be praying and saying, God, what gifts do you have for me? What could I use to bring, to build up your body? God, please. And he says, and yet, I'll show you a more excellent way. Guys, you've had tons of spiritual input. There needs to be that outlet. Oh, Lord, use us in the gifts. I want to be, I don't want to be the Dead Sea. I want to be the Sea of Galilee, full of life and, and calmness and peace. Refreshing. That's what I want. So that which I take in, Lord, Help me to give out to my family, to my friends, co-workers. Whatever you need me, God, help me to do that. And yet, Paul says, I'm going to show you a more excellent way. But that's next week, so you can't miss. Father, we thank you for your word today and the truth in your word. We love you, Jesus. We just thank you, thank you, thank you. We desire all the gifts you have for us, God, however you want to use us to build up the body of Christ. I thank you, God, for this little church that you've blessed us with gifted 
men and women. In Jesus' name. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.